I was inspired to speak about this subject uh, by an email that I got the other day, that I read the other day, um, from someone who had written in in response to a podcast episode uh, that I'd done. Um, I sometimes uh, co-host a podcast with, with two friends of mine. And the topic of that podcast and the subject of this email was around, you know, are things getting better or are things getting worse? And just kind of let's talk about that a bit. And the, the person who wrote in said they felt things were getting worse and they gave a, a bunch of reasons for why they think that that is. And my co-hosts and I on the podcast were sort of split uh, on, on the issue. Um, I tend to be a, a pretty optimistic person. But I, I did acknowledge the fact that, you know, even if things might be getting better in a lot of ways, there is an overarching tone of, of pessimism uh, in the zeitgeist, right? So even if things are getting better, it can feel like things are getting worse because of the tone, right? Um, and I, you know, and, and I'm sure a lot of us encounter pessimism uh, and fear, you know, both... Uh, in person and, and in, you know, online interactions as well. Um, and this isn't to say, you know, no amount of optimism can can ignore the fact that there are things that need to be fixed. There are problems that need to be fixed. Uh, you know, we have work to do as a society. Uh, there are people, you know, who do want, want power and want to take actions that, you know, including legislative action that could cause harm. Uh, to a certain groups of people or people with certain beliefs. Um, I just don't know that an attitude of pessimism helps that <laughs> at all. I think it contributes to the noise and to the dour tone. Um, and like I said, I, I imagine a lot of us encounter pessimism on a daily basis, either in ourselves or in, in, in other people. You know, and there's a lot of news that we hear that causes us to feel kind of pessimistic and make us think that things are getting worse. Um, you know, a lot of talk about heading into a recession. Inflation is is at a, a 40 year high. Um, Russia has been trying to take over Ukraine and we see these constant images of, you know, suffering. There similar fears around what if China would do the same thing, you know, with uh, Taiwan. Uh, you know, COVID's still out there. Republicans and Democrats in the U.S. are just at each other's throats and yelling at each other every day. And, you know, crime, poverty, violence, national disasters, right? There's, there's no shortage. The list goes on and on. And that's sort of at a global perspective, right? Individually, there's a lot of reasons that we find to be upset and be pessimistic. You know, hate my job. Everyone's so rude. You know, I'm fighting with, you know, my best friend. We got into a spat over something. I tore my favorite pants. My milk went bad, <laughs> right? There's any number of things from the, the big and the really upsetting to the, to the minor that we have to deal with. And it's easy to get caught up in all of that, to get caught up in the bad news, to get caught up in the media, to see nothing else lose hope and assume that life just stinks right it was a podcast that I, I used to listen to and really 
don't don't anymore for this reason but you know one of the hosts would kind of kick off and jokingly say like ah you know society is crumbling around us and that bothered me so I'm like if you're putting something out into the world don't broadcast pessimism don't spread that message right if you have a platform where you can share things because here's the thing if we find ourselves in a pessimistic place we shouldn't just give ourselves over to that and just broadcast it right we should investigate it why are we feeling that way don't just shrug and say well i guess it's just the way it is right you know everything stinks if we feel pessimism in one area or several areas of our lives or just general pessimism it means we're being afflicted by negative mental states right and pessimism is it's unhealthy right this isn't good for us mentally or physically uh you know studies show it increases stress right which can you know increase our risk of heart disease it can you know damage brain cells right so you know pessimism isn't a healthy thing for us and what's worse it can spread you know in our own lives you know so i was pessimistic about this thing and really gave myself over to it and well now this thing stinks and this thing is stupid <laughs> you know and then again we can spread it to other people it's almost like kind of a mental disease now they feel bad right because i just spent an hour we went out for coffee and all i just did was complain the whole time right and now they're brought down and they're going to go and they're going to spread that. And that. Is that really what we should be doing? Is that really where our energy should be spent? And there's that temptation when we're being pessimistic. You know, and I felt this. Or just like, I'm just telling it like it is. Just calling them as I see them. Right? Or, maybe a bit more subtly, on a subconscious level, we're protecting ourselves by being pessimistic and just you know shoving things away and saying well that's bad because we're trying to be on guard but we need to work with these pessimistic impulses right and and here's the thing you know you're watching a buddhist priest so let's let's see what the buddha has to say about about pessimism right and here's the ironic thing you know at first blush when you look at Buddhism, you know, it's possible to say, like, boy, you know, is Buddhism kind of pessimistic? Because we look at the Four Noble Truths, which is one of the first things that people will often bring up when they talk about Buddhism, right? You know, some of the, the major teachings, the Four Noble Truths. First one, right? What's this, you know, the, the Buddha, Buddha is saying that life is suffering, you know? And, you know, something about noble truths and that life just stinks, Right? It's not what the Buddha said, but he did start off, you know, his first sermon saying like, hey, we suffer. But being pessimistic is looking at that first truth, the beginning of the sermon, but not paying attention until the end. Not paying attention to those other three truths, namely that there's a reason for that suffering and that pessimism that that suffering can end and then he talks through how we might do it and the the buddha didn't lead with suffering 
as the first truth. You know, because it's the overarching feature of human living and just like, well, this is just, you know, life stinks. Get used to it, right? He did it because we all relate to it. We all struggle with it. It unites us as a common experience because we've all suffered. We've all had bad days. We've lost someone. We've been sick or we've suffered an injury or someone we love has been sick or injured. And we all want to suffer less. It's a unifying thing, right? It actually connects us in a very beautiful way. Suffering is that universal wobbly wheel on the wagon. And I love that that analogy for suffering, right? We, we know the word suffering comes from dukkha, right? Sanskrit word dukkha, D-U-K-K-H-A. A better translation, and you've probably heard me say this plenty of times, so I apologize, but a better translation of that word dukkha is unsatisfactoriness or unease or even stress, right? We all know what those feel like. Something's off. Life isn't puppies and rainbows. That stinks. Life isn't like the movies. Or my favorite analog for, you know, a popular uh, representation of a contentment, uh, of contentment, a Folgers commercial, right? You know, the, the person just, you know, sniffing in the coffee grounds as the light hits just right. You know, it's just after sunrise, probably in a cabin on a lake. You know, they're getting ready for the big fishing trip. You know, not a care in the world. The music is playing, leads up to Folgers in your cup, right? What a perfect moment. My life isn't like that, you know, so I suffer. Because I have that idea in my head. Why can't it be like that? Because no, I'm worried, right? I'm scared of the stuff I'm seeing on TV. You don't see the news playing in the background of a Folgers commercial. I'm nervous about upcoming travel. You know, what if my flight is canceled? What if the plane crashes? What if I get lost? What if it rains the whole time when I'm trying to relax or find my way around? Uh, one of my favorite movies, uh, What About Bob? Um, to quote Bob Wiley from that movie, you know, what if I'm looking for a bathroom, I can't find one, and my bladder explodes? <laughs> right? Wobble, wobble, wobble. There's always something either realistic or, or ridiculous to worry about. And that causes us to suffer. Because we believe that worry. We become very pessimistic when we give in to those worries. Right? We all do it. And the Buddha knew what he was doing when he started with suffering. Because he knew that people could relate. We all worry. We all agonize. We're all afraid sometimes. Because of that, it's easy to adopt a, an attitude of general pessimism. But remember, the Buddha didn't stop there. You know, if he did, then by all means, let's be pessimistic because he just gave us a really kind of a bummer of a sermon. But he didn't stop there. He went on to say, there's a reason behind the wobble. Right? And that reason is because we're grasping. We're clinging to things. That can't really be cling to. We don't want things to change, even though they inevitably change. We don't think we deserve what's happening. You know, we want more of what we, we don't have and less of the bad things that we do. And so we grasp. 
And the more we grasp, the more power we feel. Because that grasping is, is ultimately uh, a fruitless act. And before I move into the other two noble truths, you know, why do we grasp? Right? Why are we reaching out to hold on to things? I think we do because we feel alone. We think that we're on our own. You know, we've we've learned to believe this illusion that we're incomplete somehow. That we're separate from everyone else. You know, we're way over here and everyone else is way over there. And the only way to bridge that gap is to, you know, bring everyone either under our control or to make them like us somehow. You know, to dominate other people or to say to, to submit and say, Well, I need you to like me, so I'm gonna change myself. Right, and so we we grasp. You know, we're we're trying to, uh, you know, force our life to be a certain way. We dress a certain way, like the right things, say the right things, make the right amount of money, collect stuff that we spend all our time maintaining, because we think that makes us complete. Try to make our life fit that picture, that Folgers morning. And we spend all of our time trying to maintain that illusion. We lose ourselves in it. <coughs> and we subconsciously apply a lot of energy towards maintaining some picture, some identity. In the same way that, you know, the, the people who would perform and spin plates on those long sticks spend, you know, constantly readjusting and spinning the plates in case any fall down or fall. And that's exhausting. Right, that clinging is exhausting. But the good news is, the Buddha went on to say, in the third noble truth, that we can stop suffering. We don't have to worry about spinning all those plates. You know, we don't have to persist in this constant state of unease and stress and unsatisfactoriness. Because while the Buddha did say that suffering is a very common experience <clears throat> you know so common that he could start a sermon with that very fact and people would listen because they're like well that's me that applies to me right it's a choice suffering is a choice not a curse <clears throat> pardon me and because it's a choice we can do something about it Right? And that something is the fourth noble truth, the final noble truth, or in this case, the Eightfold Path, right? the path towards liberation. And this is sometimes where folks who are studying Buddhism casually will, will get a little crossed up um, and, and, and may lose their way a bit with Buddhism because, you know, it becomes a bit more of an intellectual uh, exercise, you know, like, so wait, there's, there's four big things, and the fourth thing is eight things <laughs> right and then a lot of energy is spent just memorization right and like hey i remember like what is buddhism about oh yeah it's the it's the four it's the four noble truth and the eightfold path and the five skandhas and the you know the brahma viharas and the you know the three poisons and the, <laughs> you know and a lot of energy goes into reciting the teachings then into practice 
right? But all of this, this path is a doing. And, and so I want to talk about this fourth truth, this path, um, as simply as possible to not cross anyone up. Uh, and, and in the context of pessimism and how we can overcome pessimism. The Eightfold Path, kind of at its core, is about acting and thinking in a way that reduces suffering. Drastic oversimplification, but acting and thinking in ways that reduce suffering. Acting, you know, to reduce suffering in the ways that we show up every day, in the way that we act towards others, the way we speak, uh, you know, how we earn a living. Thinking in ways that reduce suffering by... Uh, you know, seeing things as they really are and remaining committed to our practice. Essentially that, right? So the Eightfold Path is not about knowing things. It's not about memorizing facts and knowing them. It's about doing something. It's about acting and thinking. Because the path isn't going to walk itself. You need to walk it. You need to commit. You need to do the work. Suffering is easy. It comes very naturally. Pessimism is very easy and can come very naturally. <clears throat> Everyone can do it. All it takes is believing every thought that comes into your head. You know, every bit of news that you hear. Um, every bit of gossip from your friends and never challenging those thoughts putting them to the test and pessimism is you sharing your suffering with other people and increasing their suffering right because you believe it can't be any other way the fact that there's a path you know, implies some responsibility, right? It's a path that has to be walked. Unskillful mental states, like pessimism, believing that everything is bad, that leads to suffering. <clears throat> and cultivating, to, to fix that, cultivating skillful mental states can free us from suffering. You know, and we see this in the in the Dhammapada, right? The first chapter, the first words in the the you know scripture that's attributed to you know phrases of the Buddha, sayings of the Buddha. Mind precedes all mental states. Mind is their chief. They are all mind wrought. With an impure, if with an impure mind a person speaks or acts, suffering follows him like the wheel that follows the foot of the ox. Right. First noble truth. There's suffering. However, if with a pure mind a person speaks or acts, happiness follows him like a never-departing shadow. Right, and I love that because there's that, that distinction between a cart and a shadow, right? A cart is something that you have to get in. A shadow is something that just sticks with you regardless. The other implication of this being a path that must be walked is that it's going to be unique to you. One of my favorite spiritual metaphors is, you know, that 
the destination may be similar, but the path is going to be unique. Right? So we may all be going to Wichita, Kansas, right? Middle of the U.S. If you're coming from California, your experience of that path to Wichita is going to be very different than mine if I'm starting in New York. The roads will be different. The terrain will be different. The temperature, the weather will be different. You know? So what does that mean? Why is that difference important? Well, it means that you need to investigate your path individually. You need to investigate your path. And investigating your path means investigating your thoughts. So when you feel that pessimism that comes to you, when you feel that cart following after you with the wobbly wheels, right? Ask yourself, what, what am I believing what am I assuming to make me feel pessimistic? What am I assuming to be true? What don't I actually know in this case? You know, and, and if you follow that line of thinking around, well, I'm pessimistic because everything stinks. Doesn't really follow that out, you know? Investigate that thought. Where does it lead? And, I, and you'll find oftentimes with pessimistic thoughts that they, they pretty quickly cross over into the fantastic and the highly unlikely. Maybe you have pessimism because you you just got a new job and you're worried that you're going to screw it up, you know, and everything's going to fall apart. Well, follow that line of thinking. And you realize, like, probably not. I got this job because I'm qualified, <laughs> right? And when we investigate and uncover those thoughts that are causing the pessimism or the lack of truth in the thoughts that are causing our pessimism, we can replace those untrue thoughts with ones that are true, right? Ones that are useful, ones that are maybe more optimistic. And I know a few weeks ago, I gave a talk on the fact that there's no silver bullet for suffering. There's not. I wish it was as simple as, as sitting on a cushion for so many minutes a day. Or chanting the Nambutsu. Or reading the Heart Sutra. But there's no silver bullet for suffering or for pessimism. The root of our practice, you know, the, the key to unraveling the, the string of pessimism kind of wrapped around the axle of our wagon is investigating the mind and confronting unskillful and untrue thoughts. When the Buddha, you know, prior to giving his sermon, when he was still sitting underneath the Bodhi tree, what liberated the Buddha was not the sitting. It wasn't the meditation. It wasn't the Bodhi tree, you know, or how long he was doing it. It was his confrontation <clears throat> of unskillful mind states, you know, as, as uh, represented in part by his confrontation with Mara. We talked about that in a previous talk, right? And in some stories of this confrontation with Mara, this sort of demonic, tempting uh, force that was trying to sway the Buddha from his path so he wouldn't wake up, you know, he tempted him with his three daughters, you know, yearning, fulfillment, and heartache, they're sometimes called. Yearning is why want, you know, that grasping. Fulfillment is why I have and I can't lose. 
So, you know, clinging and heartache, which is why regret, you know. And the Buddha encountered those and he investigated those and he recognized those thoughts in himself and recognized them as himself and was able to change his relationship to those thoughts and wake up. So when the Buddha did go and, and decide that he wanted to teach others about waking up and ending suffering, he didn't start with that final fantastic revelation. Because the average person probably couldn't relate to that. He started with the common denominator. We all suffer, right? It may be discouraging to be pessimistic. You know, we recognize that it stresses us out. It stresses our loved ones out, our co-workers. We want to do something about it. So investigate the pessimism. And by doing so, we can transform it into a path of liberation and freedom. And ultimately, you know, perhaps an attitude of hopefulness and, and lightness and optimism. Right? But like I said, it doesn't happen on its own. It takes effort. And if we believe what the Buddha taught, and believe the impact of these teachings, you know, on, on those who have benefited from them over thousands of years, you know, that sense of hope and optimism can actually keep us on the path, right? Sustain our efforts because we're not condemned to pessimism. There is a nobler way for us to live. And I hope that you will seek that path as a part of your practice. So I, I hope that these words have been helpful.